Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the legislative session kicks into gear, bills make their way out of committee. Then, one House member's mission to improve maternal and infant care. Plus, from Macomb to Miami, one Mississippian Super Bowl journey. And in today's book club, find out what the University Press of Mississippi has been doing for the last 50 years. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislation to address the shortfall in the teacher pay raise from 2019 is one step closer to being finalized. House Republican John Reed of Gaucher chairs the Appropriations Committee. He says that bill, along with a bill that would appropriate funds for census advertising, has passed through the House Committee. He stresses the importance of the census and the need for appropriations to address the prison crisis. You have to use local or state dollars to advertise and promote the census. And we want everyone in our, just listen to this, you participate in the federal census. Because Mississippi, I think, has lost a lot of money because people take these things, throw them in the trash, and we lose, we can lose congressional representation, we can lose educational dollars, Medicaid dollars, you can lose this money is federal money, and everybody said, we don't want it. Well, listen, that money's going to be spent somewhere it needs to be spent in Mississippi. If you fill out these forms, we'll get our share. But if you don't, somebody else is going to get your share. So we passed that law, and we added 400000 to what we have already given to promote advertising, both media, magazine, TV, about the census. But um, the corrections issue is one that's um, it's out there. The, you know, the governor, Reeves, has said he does not want to, he does not think spending money at parchment is the best method that maybe we should utilize Walnut Grove up in Leake County as a, as, as a stopgap or a measure to take care of our problem at this time. But I also think that this is a time that we all need to, and I, I'm, I'm sure with the committees that have been formed and and other people, other interests that are forming, that um, we're going to try to get a grip on our, our prison property, the hiring of guards, hiring, uh, you know, who, who uh, where we're going to put them, 
the rules and regulations and trying to increase salaries. So I think it's going to be a kind of an overall, be an overall of our correction system, both physically, financially, and so we're we're going to be looking. But I have no idea what numbers are because no one has given the the roadmap to how we're going to do this yet. Representative John Reed is a Republican from Gaucher. Members of Mississippi's Legislative Black Caucus are also drafting legislation focused on prison reform. House Democrat Robert Johnson of Natchez is with the state's Black Caucus. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier they're drafting legislation to address the factors related to the prison crisis. I want to get across that we have an immediate problem. And the way you address immediate problems is with legislation or executive order by the governor. And so the first thing we can do is to uh, try to relieve the stress on a, on a underfunded, uh, understaffed correction system, not just parchment. And so we can do that. We got people, and the numbers between five and 6,000 people who are either eligible for parole, serving a sentence of less than two to three years for a nonviolent or drug offense, and people who are juveniles charged as adults who've been in prison probably 10 years. And so the combination of those groups of people that you can evaluate and determine whether they be they appropriately could be appropriately released, and uh, they're ready to be released. But if you could reduce the population by 2,500, you you would be doing a great deal in uh, to help take the stress off that system until you can fund it and adequately staff it. What would it take to do that? Who would have to order that? The governor could do it with an executive order. The parole board is in place right now. They could evaluate each one of those inmates to determine whether or not they could be released. And I have it by a very good source, a parole board member who, who, you know, who won't, you know, come out front and say it. So they could do 800 people a month if they had to that are ready now that they know they are. So it could happen. Have you talked to the governor about this? I have sent information to the governor. We haven't had a formal meeting. Uh, I was waiting for all of the inaugural and state of the state stuff to be over. He took some immediate action by closing Camp 29. For 90 days, we have some people interned at the facility in Tutwiler, but this would be something you could do in, in addition to that to keep that stress off, you know, permanently until you can do some other things. But, yeah, we, we, we have – we don't have an appointment, but we have the intention we're trying to set up a time to sit down and meet with him. But he knows where we stand on that. And we got information – we got legislation drafted to, to do some of those things. You do. That's yes, what I was going to ask you we about do. legislation. They have not been assigned, and some of them have not been dropped. They've been drafted. We have that legislation. And that legislation would allow the parole board to do yeah. what they already do? Well, you know, it's interesting. We passed laws. We got mandatory sentencing laws that people have to. Some people, when we say they're eligible for parole, we, we're talking about, in a sense, pre-amendment, pre-Clinton era amendments that made people, that, that, that required people to, be, to serve 85% of their sentences. So we want to go back to the parole board doing what they did before. They don't do as much work now, but go back when they were really functional and they were looking at people when they had served a certain amount of time and make them eligible for parole. That that formula is still there. That construct to, to go by is still there. Yeah. But you want to get rid of the have to serve 85% of your we sentence. We definitely want to get rid of that. And we want to get rid of the habitual uh, criminal rule as it applies to nonviolent offenders. I mean, it's no, nobody should serve 30 years for having possession of marijuana three times. That doesn't make any sense. Robert Johnson is a Democrat from Natchez. Coming up, one House member's mission to improve maternal and infant care. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, 
You can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Healthcare and, and, and accessibility are high priorities for Mississippians, according to a recent poll. House Democrat Jarvis Dorch is drafting legislation to address those issues. He tells MPB's Michael Guidry he wants to tailor programs to address Mississippi's much-needed preventive care, as well as infant and maternal support. Everybody understands the need is to have more preventive care, more um, ability to see a primary care doctor either through a community health center or a clinic, uh, more people having insurance that can cover those type of things. So we can actually address things like hypertension, um, high blood pressure, diabetes, these problems that are constant in our community in, in Mississippi. Um, so how do you get to that, to the point where you can do more preventive screenings. Um, one way is to expand Medicaid and expanding Medicaid in a way that actually invests in local providers and make sure that you're not just giving people an insurance card, but you're putting them in an actual network of providers that can, you know, coordinate care and actually reduce, you know, some of these terrible health outcomes that we have in Mississippi and actually save money in the long term. Well, now that you brought that up, we just heard from the governor during the uh, State of the State address, and he addressed health care, but he said that we need to be mindful of the idea of expanding Medicaid, expanding government-funded and provided health care. So where do you find the common ground? When it's rank-and-file members, I just had a conversation with with the Republican on the House floor about Medicaid expansion. If it was up to rank and file members, we could get it done. We could figure out a plan that's, you know, Mississippi based that actually covers people. Um, make sure that we have those preventive screenings that people need and invest in a primary care system. Uh, but when you talk about what the governor is saying, my question is, what is his plan? You know, I can't counter, you know, just thoughts and, and words that don't amount to an actual plan. We have, when I say we, members of the Democratic um, House have put together a comprehensive Medicaid expansion plan that's not a, a typical plan. It's something that invests in our local providers. Um, it's similar to what the Hospital Association wants to do. It isn't just, say, expanding the eligibility of Medicaid. It's actually something we think can invest in these local communities that do have problems recruiting doctors, doctors. Uh, nurse practitioners and other providers and taking advantage of our community health center. So it's Mississippi tailored and, you know, you can't do it by yourself though. You do have to have a partner and especially if that partner is the majority, you know, they're the majority. So, you know, we can do our best. You know, one of the reasons I'm here is to keep this issue alive and make sure that voters know that you can still encourage change, even if, you know, these issues aren't being addressed right now. Eventually they will be. One of the pieces of legislation or, or one of the, the components of the legislation that you you said you'd like to introduce uh, is to start a nurse-family partnership. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about your vision for that program? Um, this is just one of the uh, intervention that is going on in other states where you have a, a home visit from, in this case, a, a REN, a registered nurse, that actually helps low-income mothers have with their first child. Um uh, it's it's designed to make sure that, you know, we are 
having better health outcomes. We're addressing infant mortality. We're addressing some of the issues that come up when a new mother has their first child, um, and especially when they're uh, low income and don't have, unfortunately, in Mississippi, many of them lose their health coverage. That's another bill that we're proposing is to expand the months that maternal coverage um, covers right now. Uh, many of these mothers lose their coverage after 60 days because Medicaid cuts off after that. So this is just, you know, one of the interventions that we have seen work in other states. Even Louisiana has tried this. And we we need to invest in these type of interventions to change things in Mississippi. Um, one of the other bills that I really wish that we could um, get past this year is expanding the coverage for, for maternal care, which is, is, as I said before, it cuts off after 60 days after the pregnancy. Um, states like Missouri, and these are conservative states that haven't expanded Medicaid. They have at least increased those amount of uh, months that it's available to a mother. And this is the type of coverage that could uh, cover things like uh, substance abuse, um, all of the issues that come with postpartum, postpartum issues that come with you know, a new, um, a new child. Um, these are things that mothers go through. And if you lose that coverage after 60 days, you don't really have that access to go get that type of, um, those type of services. Jarvis Dortch, Democratic member of the House of Representatives. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up from Macomb to Miami, one Mississippian Super Bowl journey. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Growing up in Macomb, Tarverius Ward dreamed of playing in the NFL. On Sunday, he will step onto football's biggest stage as a member of the AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs as they take on the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 54. He tells MPB's Michael Guidry his focus and determination are the reasons he's made it this far. Um, I kind of like, I kind of always felt like I was going to make it to the NFL, even when I wasn't playing football, like throughout junior high, high school. I kind of felt like, like, I always, I always had a talent to like, if I didn't get a scholarship, I would walk on somewhere and just take somebody's stars fight and just make it in the field like that. I mean, but it was always in the back of my head, like I was going to make it in the NFL. I like, I feel like God had that plan for me. I mean, and it came true. So yeah, I, I always feel like I was going to make it in the field my whole life. You weren't heavily recruited uh, by any of the big four-year Power Five schools. So how did that experience of going through JUCO, going to Middle Tennessee State, how did that how did that affect your your drive and your ambition when it came to making an NFL roster? I mean, yeah, it definitely it definitely motivated me because I feel like teams like like the big time schools like they wasn't looking at me. I mean, so that motivated me. Junior college, like it was just another part of my life. Like my whole childhood was a struggle, and junior college was a struggle too. Like we didn't have any money. Like it was sometimes it was hard to eat on the weekends and stuff like that because the food at the junior college was nasty and cold on the weekends. So I mean, it was just another it was just another element to my life that I already went through. Like struggling in JUCO, struggling there, like throughout my whole childhood at home, my mom and my parents. I mean, so I was motivated by all that. I'm, I'm definitely motivated motivated by where I come from. Not a lot of people from Macomb, they looking up to me. How important is it for you to be that individual that others in your community can look up to you as an example? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to do that because, like, coming up, I mean, 
it was a few people, Gerard Dyson, like he was doing, I feel like when I was coming up, Gerard Dyson, he played for the Kansas City Warriors, like, I mean, he's an MLB baseball player, so he was like that deacon for us, like, I mean, we saw him, we saw him do it, so I feel like, well, I saw him do it, and I feel like I can do it too, like, I can make it to a professional team as well, so like, I mean, it's just getting them, it's just getting them belief and hope, like, everybody, all the kids from high school, they telling me like they they always looked up looked up to me because I I was always different from everybody like I was always focused on my book focused on classroom I was always in the house not really going to a party so you just gotta be- dedicate your time your effort I mean and all your abilities you just gotta go in 100 percent I mean leave the streets alone leave all the the negative stuff alone man and you can make it in any profession you want to make it in I just I love my hometown I love my people from back home so you've been in Miami since Sunday has it sunk in yet? Uh, nah, I think it's gonna sink in like Sunday, Sunday night when I when they play the national anthem. I think it's gonna sink in like right there and there. Like, like I really made it. Like I'm really in the fair in the Super Bowl. I've been watching the Super Bowl since I mean since as long as I can remember. Like, 40 million people watching. Like, that's a dream come true. I, mean, I just want to make my mom proud, make my teammates proud, make my coaches proud, and make Macomb Mississippi proud. Emotionally and and mentally, do you prepare any differently for a game like this, or is it more? Try to stick to the same routine and, and treat it like any other game. Oh uh, yeah, you got to stick to the same routine. It's just in this game, everything will be magnified. So you got to build your P's and Q's every play, just like any other game. Like, I mean, the coach is trying to give us the same routine, the same schedule we've been having all season that's been leading us to winning. So I mean, I'm gonna I'm do the same thing I've been doing um, throughout throughout my whole career so far, like getting massages on Fridays. I mean, studying the opponent's film a lot, just like being locked in all the time. So. So, like, when I, when a ball comes my way in the game, like, I can make that play. Your coach, Andy Reid, has been here before. What message has he given the team um, as you prepare for this? Uh, yeah, Coach Reid, I mean, he, he gives us a lot of freedom. He t- he, he always tells us to let our personality show. I mean, like, be prepared. Like, I mean, I feel like he's, he's, he's one of the best coaches in the league, one of the smartest guys. I mean, I done been around in my short career, like, I mean, he always he always give us everything we need in the classroom so we can take that to the field. Like we always super super prepared when we go on the field because Andy Reid is um, leading us. You're a defensive back yep. from Mississippi. We saw another defensive back from Mississippi step up in a Super Bowl and and make a big play. Malcolm Butler. Does a play like that really resonate? That on a stage like that, it could be any play from anyone at any moment. Like in the Super Bowl, like any play can win the game. You can't you can't be having no missteps, no misjudgments. Like no lapses in thoughts or nothing. Like in the Super Bowl, like like I said earlier, everything is magnified. Like it's gonna come, it's gonna come down to the end of the game, and the team that's more prepared, in better shape, in the best shape, and the best team. I mean, they'll win at the end of the day. Traverius Ward, cornerback, Kansas City Chiefs, and Macomb native. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Coming up in today's book club, find out what the University Press of Mississippi has been doing for the last 50 years. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. 
Today's book club doesn't feature an author or a particular book, but a lot of books from a lot of authors that come to you from Mississippi's largest publisher and the only nonprofit publisher in the state. The University Press of Mississippi is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Craig Gill is its director. We've always been focused on Mississippi, but we've also always been focused on scholarly work. So we do both of those things. What is the relationship with the eight public universities? So we represent and are sponsored by the eight universities. And that means that we're almost unique in the country in terms of being a consortium press representing eight schools. We are not on a campus of any one of the schools. We're here in Jackson, and that way we can represent all eight uh, equally. Do you publish all theses? No. We publish the occasional dissertation turned into a book, but much more often is a professor, assistant, associate, full, whatever. The professors come in different flavors who's publishing anywhere from their their first book to their, their 15th book. I have interviewed countless authors that have been published through the university press. They're not all from Mississippi. Right. The books are not necessarily Mississippi-related. Did you branch out from a Mississippi-centered press? Most presses start initially focused just on their school or, or, or their, their universities. In our case, since we sort of started late in 1970, you know, some of these other presses have been around since the 1800s even. I think there was always an awareness that while we would represent the schools, we would also be publishing scholarship from around the country and around the world. That part of the mission has always been defined as publishing books by and about and for Mississippians, but also just publishing good books from anywhere. And then also the regional mission, well, obviously we, we do a lot in Mississippi and we're the biggest publisher in Mississippi. We're the only not-for-profit publisher in Mississippi. We also publish a lot of books on the Gulf South. So we, we a lot of books in Louisiana, a lot of books on Alabama, and you know everything from Texas to Florida, again, and around the world. Aside from the nonprofit status and aside from your relationship with the universities, do you differ from any publishing house? In a few ways, but in in many ways, no. We're a small business. We're a state agency, but we're what's called a quasi-state agency because we sell a product. We're competing with all those other publishers on at the local bookstore, online, and everywhere else. So in that regard, we're very much like everybody else. We're we're making businesses business decisions. We're selling books. We're pricing books. We're worrying about whether the bookstores are going to stay in business or not. All of those kinds of things uh, were the same. The difference is that in addition to having this regional and what we call in the business a trade book, national book, general interest book, uh, trade book market, we also do have a scholarly mission. That's what makes us different from, say, Random House. How many books do you publish a year? Uh, We do 85 new books a year, plus a a number of new and paperback titles. To give that a scale, we have 20 people doing 85 new books a year. The first year of the press's existence, they had two people and they did seven books. (laughs) So we have grown over the past 50 years. But that's a lot of work. It sounds like it is a lot of work. And and I would argue that we've got the hardest working staff in the publishing world. But I'm biased. Which book is your biggest seller? Uh, Depends upon how you define it. The book that has generated, I I believe this is this is accurate. The most income for the press over the years is Eudora Welty's photographs. 
a book that uh, we just recently brought out a new edition mm-hmm. to celebrate. In fact, the, it's on my desk. Uh, I think the book that has sold the most units is actually the Mississippi Cookbook because we published that way back in 1972 and it has never stopped selling. The most poundage is the Mississippi Encyclopedia because uh, that book is just so big. You know, there's different ways of calculating this. We've, we've been trying to figure out fun ways to calculate these things you know, to celebrate <laughs> the anniversary. Any thoughts about your anniversary and what 50 years means for the university press? Well, I, I, I'm very proud to have been part of the press now for 22 years. So I've got 22 of the 50 years, uh, include me. The thing that we always say is that Every book that we publish goes out into the world and it represents Mississippi. So we've published more than over 2,000 books. We've distributed more than 3 million individual books. And every one of those books said published by the University Press of Mississippi. We represent the state. We represent the universities. And those books travel everywhere, right? And so I feel like we've done a real service for the state. And I'm very proud of that growth, going from seven books to 85. The next question is, what will the next 50 look like? That's the real discussion that we'll be having this year. We'll be celebrating 50 years, and we'll also be talking about the next 50 years. Craig Gill is the director of the University Press of Mississippi. Congratulations on your 50 years. Thank you. We will be celebrating all year long. Everyone go to the website. There's specials. There's events. There's going to be stuff happening all year long. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.